0: Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osband, Here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our DAF today, Masachat Nedarim, DAF Yud, page 10. So we are continuing our discussion uh, on the DAF about whether or not a neder is good, what, where a is better, and the Gemara basically brings here a few different opinions, uh, or sort of a few different practices attitudes towards uh, the practice of giving voluntary uh, korbanos. And so I'm sort of starting um, in the middle here. Um, but, uh, you know, yesterday we had learned about this procedure that Hillel Hazakin did, uh, where he would sort of bring in a dava, but he wouldn't consecrate that animal till just before he was ready to actually bring that animal as the korban itself. So there wouldn't be any possibility of the animal, you um, you know, getting maimed or dying, nothing could happen to that animal, uh, you know, so it just would essentially go right away to fulfilling its purpose. And so the Gemara uh, now talks about Rabbi Yehuda's opinion here um, and that Rabbi Yehuda also, uh, you know, the question is whether uh, he said that uh, neder was a good thing to do. And they argue that no, a neder is not a good thing to do and that he prefers Nadeva, and so the Gemara says, Rabbi Yehuda Latame, right? Rabbi Yehuda follows his reasoning. to Amar for Rabbi Yehuda says, right? And now, again, he's going to go through his procedure for making an nidava. azara, a man brings his lamb to the courtyard without it being hagedeshet. Umak shihu And he consecrates it and he puts his hands on it and he slaughters it, similar to exactly what Hilah Hazaken did as described beforehand. So when an edaba is done in that way, and we're not concerned uh, that you won't fulfill bringing that nidzaba, that's when it's considered to be something good. That's when it's considered to be virtuous. The Gemar goes on and says, uh, tinach de korbanot. This fits well, you know, when we talk about nidzaba korbanas. Nidzaba de nizirud, my ekel But what about the nidzaba of, of nizirut? In other words, how can, because really n- nizirut is described as being a nader, how could that ever be described as being something good? So the Gemara says, Yehuda Rabbi Yehuda has his reasoning, and we teach this in a Brisa. Yehuda Omer, Rabbi Yehuda said, harishonim hayu mit avim korban The early pious ones. So this was a group, the Hasidim are just, it's not the Hasidim that we talk about today. They're described in Masachet Brachot as a group of people who would take them basically three hours to pray. They would take an hour of preparation an hour of prayer and then an hour sort of afterwards. So they would take a very, very long time to to in. So these early Hasidim, they would want to bring a korban chatas. Lefi kadosh may be takala But because Hashem made sure that God made sure that there was sort of, would never bring a transgression through them. In other words, these were very holy people. They want to bring a chatat. But on the other hand, they never committed a transgression, so they never had to bring a chata, right? Which is a offering that you bring when you commit a sin. So what would they do? So they would get up and they would make an adaba of a vow of nazirut, right? So then they would have to bring a korban chata, because when you ended your nazirut, Right. When you end being a Nazir, one of the Korbanah you bring is a Korban khatat And so this is the only way that they could sort of bring this Korban khatat And Rabbi Yehuda quotes this as a good thing to do. Now, the, you know, we have this b'risa with this pra- this sort of uh, practice that Rabbi Yehuda refers to. OK, but we're going to see a dissenting opinion here. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Lodnadru nad- bin Nazir, right? The, these early Hasinim, they would never take a vow of Nazar. Allah, what would they do? One of them would want to bring a korban olah, which again is, can be done voluntarily. So they would bring an olah as an adaba and bring it. Shlamim, somebody wanted to bring a shlamim, which also can be done voluntarily. Mitnadev may maybe. bring it. Toda, a korban todah and it had four types of bread that were brought with it, Deva They would bring it as an adaba and bring it. They would commit to it as an Al but, but nizi right? The this they they would the hasidim. so that they would not be called sinners. Because again, remember the nazir brings a korban chatat, and they bring a korban chatat. How do we know that he's called a sinner? So here they quote the pasuk from Bamidbar, chapter 6, verse 11, talking about the nazar. He, the Kohen, shall provide the Nazir atonement having sin regarding the soul, okay? So it, it says, the pasuk says explicitly that the nazar is considered to be a, a sinner. Amar bai. so then Abayi says Shimon HaTzadik, right? Shimon who we learned about yesterday. Vishimon and Shimon, Rabbi Ha HaKapar and Rabbi Elazar Kapar, Kulan Shita achaten. All three of these people agreed and had one Shita, Denazir Chotehabe, that a Nazir was considered to be a sinner. And then it goes on and Abai explains why exactly are they a sinner according to Shimon Hatzah. And, and uh, that was from, and Rabbi Shimon, which is from the Brisa that we just read, quotes a similar opinion of Rabbi Ha Kapar you know, we, quoting the same, uh, quoting the same pasuk. Um, and it's interesting. The reason for Rabbi bin ben Kappar is, and I'm skipping a little bit, the chiba ezo nefesh chata. What, what, how did his soul sin? Elish asmo min he distressed himself from abstaining from wine. And so we learn something interesting here that here, the reason that we're saying that he sins is that there's something about the, you know, the way that the Nazar has, Eating any type of great product at home, particularly not having wine, it's a distressful way to live. It's it's really denying yourself something, and then that's not necessarily a way that we're supposed to be living. And that's why he's considered to be, uh, you know, a, a sinner. Um, and then it goes on uh, with a couple of even people um, who fast. So I think it's just interesting, uh, you know, to see And and I won't read the whole passage until the Mishnah you can read it and it goes a little bit more into why the Nazir is a sinner. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how these discussions come up in Masachat Nazir because there's been a lot of Nazir in Nadarium itself. But, you know, it's not clear that being a Nazir is necessarily an admirable thing to do. Um, And, you know, and maybe it's a way, uh, maybe a person who has a particular type of personality or, you know, the way we read with that story with Shimon at with the person who did it to fight his Yates or But overall, we're seeing that there's a lot of sources to say that taking about Nizirud is not necessarily something that's admirable. And really, from a straightforward reading of the Sukim, they're really considered a sinner. And so the question really becomes what is the sin of the Nazir?
1: Okay, that's something we're gonna have to table for now. <laughs> what is the sin of the Nazir? But it's an interesting question. And I think it's something that always, you know, if you learn, Nazir in Chumish in the Torah. When you see that he's bringing a sin offering, right? Without all of this detail, it's still like the one of the basic questions about the status of the Nazir. Right? Is this good? Is this bad? Why would there be a chatat brought? Um, I'm going to go on to the Mishnah here. Um, The Mishnah really puts us very much in the weeds of the language issues of these statements of these potential oaths. So somebody's going to take a vow, or he's going to refer to a korban. This is basically what's happening. Somebody's using language in a more what seems to be a more colloquial a colloquial way. It does not seem to be like stumbling or mumbling or bumbling over words, right? It's rather, you know, an intentional utterance of konam or konach or konas. Each of these statements seem to be um, like a substitute phrase for the word korban. So if you and you know use any of these phrases, any of these words, your Korban counts. Your vow that you're going to bring a Korban counts. So again, now again, three words that each of them, cherech, cheref, I'm sorry, cherech, cherech, and cheref. All three of these terms are substitutes or, you know, these nicknames, whatever, for cherem for the the excommunication, right? But in this case, I mean, that's usually what we say for cherem. but in this case, this harem, what happens is that you're, it's really a dedication to the temple, to the Beit HaMikdash, and the harem aspect of it, right, that the swearing off of its side is because now it's going to be dedicated to the Beit HaMikdash, so you can't use it, okay? Then next we have here, nazik, naziach, paziach, hare elu kinu nazirut. All of these phrases, all of these words really, they're not phrases, are substitutes or nicknames, right, for somebody who's going to take on nazirut. And the question is, does using these, again, more casual phrases that are not the precise formula of nazir, will that, you know, will that make some... Does it work? Does the person who says this actually become a azir through their statement? And the answer is yes. The, the answer is yes. Meaning, it's in the same way that konam, konach, etc. are going to be for korban, and cherik and cherif are going to be for a cherim, for dedication to the Benamikdash, nazik and naziyach and so on will, uh, will indeed incur or bring about Nazirut upon the person who says this. Shvuta, shekuka, noder b'mohi, hare l'shvua. Now this is an interesting thing, just in terms of again playing with the language. The last thing is that you're going to take an oath, right? And the oath could come have any which details. And the Mishnah here says that the word shavuta and the word shikuka, both of them will substitute for or and then also somebody, sorry, somebody who takes an oath with the word mohi, all of those really will count as a shavua, Um that. It, you know, despite the apparent dispar- departure from the language itself. So the Torah opens up to ask exactly, like, what's happening here with the language? Itamar kinuyin. <inaudible> you say that we're going to talk about substitutes or nicknames or whatever within the language of vows. What is all this business in this mission? Why are these the words? Rabbi Yochanan <inaudible> says these are from other languages, and they, all of them mean, offering dedication, zirut, an oath, whatever, that you're going to go find the words in, I guess, I don't know what, cognates, meaning languages that are somehow in the general area, but they're not the Hebrew terms. But if somebody used these terms, meaning if you make your vow in English, let's say, it's still going to count, right? This is korban in other words, and cherim in other words. Rabbi Shimon ben Lakishamer, Lashon shabadu lahem chachamim liyot Derbo. So Rish Lakish doesn't accept that they're they're foreign words. Rather, he says, this is the language that Chachamim devised. This is Badu. They they concocted it, meaning this is the formulas that they said, these are the ways you take a vow. Why? So before we get to why, the word Badu, that means that they, they planned it, that they concocted these terms, comes from a verse in Malachim Aleph, where it says in the month where he had Badu, or Bada, rather, his own heart, right? He's planned something out and in accord with his desire. So that, this idea that, you know, where do these words come from, that they should line up with the key words of Korban and Cherim and shvuah, right, the answer, or nizirut. the answer is that they line up because the Chazal themselves said, these are going to be the words that we're going to use to make, to take oaths. And in the meantime, there's the other opinion from Rabbi Yochanan who says that these are actually words in other languages or neighborly na- languages that actually mean this. Fine. Let's go on. Why is it? Why is it that there is this concern about these pseudo-words to begin with? But why did the rabbis even decree that there should be these, you know, nicknames or substitutes for the main words anyway? Dololema korban. So the Gemara here says that to make sure that people would not say the word korban, which nowadays we say this with impunity, and I'm beginning to rethink that, but the idea here was that korb, there's no Beda Mikdash to, to accidentally take a shvua for a korban, but, but in any, or yes, yeah, still have to be careful not to do it, but the concern is perhaps a little bit less. The korban word seems to be taboo under these terms. Right? Rather, use one of the kinuim, use one of the nicknames, the substitutes, not the word korban. V'lema korban, amar korban l'ashem. Why? What's the problem with korban? There's no magic in the word korban. But what happens if you would say korban l'ashem? Because isn't that the way we talk about korbanot, that we're going to dedicate them to God? And the answer, le'ma korban l'ashem, Amar l'ashem. Maybe instead of saying a sacrifice to God, you'll just say the to God part, and assume it's understood. And in which case then, you're going to, if you don't say the word korban, then you're just saying Hashem. And if you're just saying Hashem, then you're not talking about the phenomenon of dedicating, right? You're talking about, you're just saying words that mean Hashem. And now we're going to worry about that being, uh, uh, you know, taking God's name in vain. And the moment you're taking God's name in vain, we want to make sure that you're not going to do that. So we're going to triple back, right? Let's take count all the steps back to get rid of the possibility of saying God's name in vain. So you're not going to say Korban Lashem. You're not going to say Lashem and you're not going to say Korban Lashem. And in fact, you're not going to say Korban lest you come to say Korban Lashem or just Lashem. And you're going to say instead Konam or Konas or whatever. And it's a, you know, it's a very sensitive Gemara that is thinking With, you know, the very big picture to make sure that nobody's going to do any sins here. And on the other hand, I kind of wonder, like, was this a great risk or was it not really such a great risk?
0: And what I wonder is, let's say, you know, we somehow came back to, like, keeping halacha the way we did in the Mishnah. And now that Hebrew is sort of a revitalized language. Um, but also Israel, for example, is a country with many, many different immigrants. Would this list change today? I would imagine it would, right? Like if you had to really talk about what words could potentially mean all of these categories, I, I, I don't know that the words in the Mishnah would count anymore so as much, or maybe that's not the important question because they're not really words we use, but would we add to this list with more modern examples?
1: Uh, and my question is, what if you're saying real nicknames what if you're saying like the way same people make up really casual terms for things that are in use in a regular kind of way people name their cars or people you know have shorthands in their households to refer to furniture or to things that are in regular use and so i wonder would those count as kireem if you knew what you meant and the people around you knew what you meant would that be enough What if it's, you know, if it's not a universal term?
0: Here, it seems like it needs to be universal, but I think that's a great question, right? Like you could come up with a scenario where somebody could say something that maybe only a few people around them would understand, but really understand it, but it wouldn't necessarily be a universal term. Right,
1: right, exactly.
0: Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rinkus Reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Town with Facebook page. Until tomorrow, go and learn.